Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. We've been using this verse. So 1 Peter, there we go. Oh, I had it up there already, sorry. Yep. We're going to try reading this together because we've been quoting this verse, I think I, I probably used it a half dozen times over the last two weeks, and then we've been using it also in January. So let's read it together. You guys ready for that? Three, two, one. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. All right, we've been using this verse a lot. So the last two weeks we talked about fact or fiction, and we used this kind of as a platform verse, but talking about how we stand for truth and love, even though it doesn't specifically say that, but we kept talking about the with gentleness and respect. Right, so always being ready to, to give a defense, to give a reason. And how I've been using it and how it's often used is we talk about give a reason for your beliefs, give a reason for your faith. Uh, but I wanted to highlight the word that's actually used there, and it is the word hope. So hope is the, is the word that Peter uses there. Now, does it mean it's wrong to talk about it in other ways, you know, whether it's faith or belief? Absolutely not, because he's talking about our hope in Jesus Christ. So that includes our faith and belief. But he uses the word hope, and that's actually a, a, a really important thing uh, for us to understand. And the question would be why. So why is that important? Well, hope is an, emotion, it's an emotional language. It really is. But it, hope is something like when we talk about something I hope in, we're talking about uh, heart investment. So it's different than belief. It's not just something that, you know, I can read something and read a fact and say, okay, I believe that as a fact. When I hope in something, I'm investing my heart into it. So hope, like what I put my hope in, ends up being a leader in my life. So it leads, and it will especially lead my heart, and that's why it's important. So wherever my heart is leading, that's usually the type of fruit that I'm going to start uh, or that I will bear in my life, right, whether good or bad. And that's why it makes sense for Peter to say, always be ready to give a reason if anyone asks you for, for why you have that hope in your heart. Because people will ask, and I'm not saying that's the only reason we talk about Jesus. We do also, you know, we want to share the, the good news with anybody. But he's saying here, when someone asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, why? Because they can see it. It's a direction that you've placed your life into, you've invested your heart into it, and that's what he's looking at. So, Psychology Today, psychology actually done a whole bunch. I, I did some research on it uh, this week on what they, what they found about hope. They've done whole studies on hope. Now, how the world would define hope, it's very similar, but ours is a little bit different, and I'll get on to that in just a moment. But I thought this quote was incredible, and you'll see it right here on uh, Psychology Today. That screen on the back is not on. There it is. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Thank you, whoever put it on. You're the best. All right. Hope is a key factor. Research is identified in, uh, as critical in determining how we negotiate suffering. If people believe that their suffering will end or that some possibility of rescue is likely, they can endure incredible discomfort. So right there, when you look at that statement, I thought it was an incredibly accurate statement on hope. And it even lines up with how our Christian faith or our Christian hope, the hope in Christ, actually satisfies a lot of those criteria, right? Because we actually have hope that our suffering will end. We have hope in eternity. We have hope that our future is going to be better. Right? No matter what happens here, no matter how bad it gets, our hope is in the next life. It's in eternity. So it actually fits that criteria, and that's brilliant. 
But I want to quickly, before we go too far into what this hope looks like and what the kind of fruit that it bears in your life is going to be, I just want to look at two kinds of hope. And just very, very quickly. The first kind of hope is often how people talk about it. And this would be linked in, uh, it's always linked in future, right? When we have hope in something, we're hoping in a future outcome. But the first kind is hoping in an uncertain type of future outcome. And so this would be, you know, for a young man, he might be hoping that the girl he's going to ask on a date is, feel, is going to feel the same about him as he does about her. Right? There's a hope. But it's an uncertain future expectation, right? He's not totally sure if it's going to work out. In, uh, in my case, it was my, it was my wife, you know. As she saw me the first time, and she was hoping that I would feel the same, and I did. She watched the 9 o'clock. I can get away with saying whatever I want now, because she's not watching this one. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah. No, there's lots of hope that we have. But you can see, right? I can hope. You know, last week I talked about pizza. I'm pretty sure I did that two weeks in a row. I'll do it again. You know, I can hope that we have pizza for lunch, but I'm actually not totally sure what's on the menu. Right? I mean, that's a casual use of the word hope. And you can see it's not, I'm not investing my heart into it. So I just said hope is about heart investment and it leads you. This first kind of hope doesn't lead you necessarily. I mean, it can, uh, but, but it's not. So it's a desire for a positive outcome, but it's not necessarily certain or guaranteed. The second kind of hope is where we're going to spend our time now. And that is Christian hope, and it's set on a future certainty. So that's where, you know, we already talked about the last two weeks about having a confident faith. And I said three of those foundational underpinnings that we had were, one, it was God in creation. And the evidence that we could see there, right, that showed that it was objective truth. Then we had the evidence for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then lastly, we had our own personal experience. Right? And when you put those things together, it built this, this solid foundation upon which we're building our lives and building our faith. Totally. So because we have that solid foundation, then we can go into the Word, and there's dozens of promises that we find in this book. And we find all sorts of things that detail what God is like and who He is. And Christian hope then allows us, based on what we already know to be true, allows us to hold on to those future promises and those ones currently with hope because it's, it is of cert, like it's, it's a guaranteed thing. There's a guaranteed outcome, right? So we have certainty with our future hope. Now, the hope that psychology today was talking about is also is rooted in a future goal. And I thought that was an interesting take on hope, right? So what is its goal-oriented and setting goals so that you're moving in a clear direction? And I thought, actually, Christian hope even satisfies that criteria. If you look at 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, Paul's talking here, and he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So here he's talking about running towards a prize. Right? I, mean, I don't know if you've ever done any races. I, have, <laughs> I used to do those run for moms uh, when they ran them back here. Now I don't anymore because they, they changed the day and I haven't done it since. But the last one I did, um, I almost died. And Zach was even worse than me. He was in an ambulance. But anyways, we gave it all we got. And the thing is, I, I still remember the, the point, and it's only five kilometers, okay? But whatever, if you're not a runner, if you're not a runner and you don't, this is the only time you run all year, it's a lot. Anyways, my training for the, for the 5K was this much. I lift weights, I don't run. So then you, you show up, and, and we're going to run, and we're running this race. And I remember I'm kind of following my sister-in-law, LaDawn, the whole way there, and she's a runner. So both her and my brother are. But anyways, I, we get to the four-kilometer mark, and I had a decision to make. 
I'm either going to lose to my sister-in-law or I am going to lay everything on this next kilometer stretch. And I did. I did. I laid, I laid it all out there, and I just gave it, and I, I totally did beat her. And the picture, they actually got a picture. I have it saved on my Facebook. But I look like I'm, cl- I'm actually clutching my heart like this. There's a contorted look on my face <laughs> as I'm crossing the finish line. I was in such bad shape. I won't say all the, yeah, there was lots of things that I lost control of after that because my, everything. So we won't, uh, <laughs> my heart was beating well beyond what it should be beating. But anyways, why would you put yourself through, through such a strenuous and dumb thing like that? And the reason is because the prize. To me, the prize was worth the cost. Does that make sense? So having that future goal actually allowed me to endure a lot of hardship and humiliation, a little bit of it. <clears throat> but I didn't lose to my sister-in-law. I, uh, I did beat her, although she could probably beat me now. So there is a third part to our Christian hope, though, and that is Jesus. So it's not just, it's not just set on promises or not just set on, on future guarantees, but it's also set on a person, a person that we can know personally, and that is Jesus Christ. And so 1 Peter 1, 13 to 15, he says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. All right, so I want to expand onto the fruits of placing your hope in Jesus, but before we get there, I just want to look at two ditches. So if we look at hope in Christ is, you know, the center line that we're trying to follow, that's going to be the right thing to hold on to and, and lead our hearts uh, there's two ditches on either side of, of any narrow path like that. So that's what we're going to look at now, these two danger zones, uh, briefly. And the first one is not having hope. Not having any hope. It's a terrible place to be. We call it hopelessness, hopeless despair. So what does hopeless despair feel like? Every single person in here and online, you've all felt hopeless despair. Hopeless despair is that feeling when you feel like you have run out of, you've exhausted all your resources and time and effort and energy. You have nothing left. In fact, probably some of you might be, have even felt it sometimes in a wave and you maybe didn't even recognize what you were feeling. But sometimes you ever had it where, you know, you're presented a problem or something happens and it almost feels like this wave of exhaustion hits you? You ever had that? Comes out of nowhere and you're wondering, what is that? Hopelessness. It's a, it's a wonderful, terrible feeling. <laughs> It's a wonderfully terrible feeling. That's a better way to put it. It's a wonderfully terrible feeling, but it drains you. You can feel like all your energy just goes straight into the floor, out of, out of your feet, into the floor, and you got nothing left. Hopelessness. This last two years, many people have reported feeling hopeless with restrictions, with lockdowns, with uh, losing their job, or with health, or with losing loved ones, or with, or with restrictions. There's lots of reasons that people have felt hopeless, and hopelessness is a terrible place to stay. And, uh, you know, if you stay in that spot for any lengths of time, um, people can easily slip into things like depression, where it feels like there's no way out. There's no future goal, right? In many cases, it's just the opposite of what we talked about, what hope actually is. There's no future goal. There's no future outcome. There is no hope of change. And so depression can result, and anxiety can result. Suicidal thoughts in extremes can result. Because you have no hope left in this life. And, you know, we don't want to stay in that spot. It's a terrible spot to to stay in. But we all feel there at varying degrees at varying times in life. Okay, so we all get there. And if we don't know how to get our hope back onto Christ, 
we run the risk of going from one ditch right into the other. And the next ditch is placing our hope in the wrong thing, person, or outcome. Interestingly enough, this can be equally destructive. We just said that hopelessness can lead someone into suicidal thoughts or suicide, it can lead them into uh, depression, anxiety. Obviously, not, that's not the cause of all uh, mental health, right? But it can. We know that. It can lead you into all sorts of things. But equally devastating is putting our hope in the wrong thing. So let me demonstrate that. So one example could be, let's say someone is, is hopeless. They've been hopeless for years. They have no hope that anything could ever change. They feel so torn up and empty and broken on the inside. They can be in a room full of people that are even talking to them and feel all alone. And you stay there and eventually suddenly you start feeling like your only hope to ever feel better would be to end your life. So you're seeing how you, you can go from hopelessness to actually having hope, but you're placing your hope now in the wrong thing. You think that ending it is, going to, is somehow going to make things better, but that is actually finding hope. You're just putting it in the wrong spot. Addictions are the same thing. Think about an addiction. What is an addiction, right? It is, so when, it's, when we self-medicate pain is essentially what it is. So we're self-medicating pain. Why? Right? You're in pain. You're in stress. You're in discomfort. You're in brokenness. Maybe it's rejection. Whatever it is, but you're not sure how to make that feeling go away, so you turn to what? Drugs, alcohol, pornography, food. People turn to all sorts of different things, right? As your only what? Your only hope to feel normal. Your only hope to feel better. So you can see again, hopelessness is bad. Hope in the wrong thing can be bad. Or maybe you're a young person and your hope is in this other person liking you, right? If they will just date you, if they will just see you, if they will just love you, then you can be complete. The thing is, there is no human being that can complete you. Even in marriage. Only Jesus can do that. He's the only one that can actually fill that deep longing, right? So there's lots of things. So we can, what about political parties? That's hitting a touchy subject with all the stuff that's going on. Maybe your hope is in, well, if we can change from liberal to conservative, then things are going to get better. Maybe they will. But is that our hope? Is that placing our hope in the right things? By the way, I'm not saying we shouldn't be invested in a political party. We should be. <laughs> it's part of our democratic right, and it's part of our duty, right, to vote and, and to have our voice be heard. That's totally fine. I'm just saying, where is our hope? Where is our hope? Maybe it's financial security or wealth. When, what happens if you lose your job? This, this was very telling in the last two years, as many people lost their job, lost health, and they were left with what? Feeling, oh my goodness, I didn't realize all the things in this life that I was putting my hope in. Right? My security was being found and things just kind of being the same. And now suddenly a lot of those things were ripped away and we didn't know what to do. So these are the two ditches, two danger zones we have to watch out for. It's not just hopelessness and then finding hope. There's hopelessness. There's also finding your hope in the wrong thing. So what we want as believers is to set our hearts, our hearts, right? Because it leads our hearts, our, our heart and our mind on Jesus Christ because that is the only way we're going to be able to fully live for him. So once we've done that, Remember I said, what we put our hope in will bear fruit in your life. It will. People will be able to see it. And that's what Peter was getting at. So, what kinds of fruit does hope in Christ produce? And now I just put together a small list. This is a small list, and I'm sure there could have been more. Uh, but for sake of time, I'm just going to put a couple of hand or a handful of things. And the first one is self-sacrificing love. 
already had that on there. And why the self-sacrificing love? Because if your hope is in anything, I don't know what it is, but if it's in anything that's involved in this world today, you're going to have a very hard time letting go. You just will, because if you let go, what if nothing comes back? What if you don't get that satisfaction on the inside? What if your needs don't get met? It's very, very hard to live self-sacrificially uh, if, you, if you feel like your only hope is in this world. Unless everything's going smooth, <laughs> right? Then it's easy. But I'm talking about, you know, in normal life where it goes ups and downs and ebbs and flows. So that's one of the fruits that you'll find in someone who has their hope in Christ is that they grow in self-sacrificing uh, love. Second one, freedom from sin and addictions. There is in, in uh, parentheses their process. It is a process. I'm not saying, you know, we're going to listen to a message. I'm sure you've all heard of Christian hope before, but we're going to talk for 30 minutes uh, and then baptisms on hope. And we're just going to change everything. We're going to drop every sin, every addiction, every problem that we've ever gone through because now our hope's in Jesus, okay? It's not quite that simple. There is a process to walking in freedom, as many of you know. But this is one of the fruits of someone who chooses and says, this is where I'm placing all of my hope. I'm going to place it in Jesus and I'm going to move in that direction. One of the fruits is freedom. That is, one of the, that is one of the fruits that he offers that he begins to work inside of the regenerated heart. The next one, peace and perseverance. They are two separate things. I was actually just trying to cram more into my small list. <laughs> I'll just be honest. That's what I did. But they kind of link together. But think about this. I mean, these are two things that are needed in believers right now in the world. The world offers what? What is peace? Webster's would say peace is the absence of conflict. Right? Scripture says, peace I leave you is peace that passes understanding. Meaning it's not just absence of conflict, it's presence of personhood. Jesus. Well, to experience that, you actually have to have your hope in him. It's not just a matter of believing the right doctrines, and then suddenly you have that experience in your life. This is fruit that is born in someone whose heart direction, their heart has chosen the direction they're going in, and they're moving towards Jesus, right? So that's peace. Uh, but same with uh, perseverance. We just talked about that with that racing analogy, right? When you have your hope on the right prize, you're, you're, you're far better equipped to endure hardship along the way, because you know that all of this is for that, it's for something that's guaranteed uh, in my future. Obviously, that's a process too. Perseverance just doesn't grow overnight. How about this one? Contentment and satisfaction. So, oh, I skipped one. Extravagant generosity. Okay, we'll start there. Extravagant generosity. Uh, read the book of Acts, and what do you find? Now, we're not just talking, by the way, giving to church. Read the book of Acts, and it says believers shared all things in common. Right? They were extravagantly generous. Why? Because they had something far greater than anything that you could have here on this earth. So they didn't hold on to their stuff. Not that stuff is all bad. It isn't all bad, right? And God will give different amounts of stuff to different people according to his goodwill. But, but they're, they're extravagantly generous. Why? Because they had something far better. They weren't living for today. They're living for the next life. And they trusted that even if they gave away everything, if that was what God was calling them to, even if they gave away everything, they trusted that God cared for them just like he does the sparrows, and he would still provide going forward. Now we'll get to the one that I was going to talk about, contentment and satisfaction. Here's another one. How many, of, like, you know, this is rhetorical. How many of you actually feel content? Think about when you, when you go on your social media feed. You still feel content and satisfied? It used to be, you know, well, now it's kind of lots of polarizing views. It used to be a lot of, you know, stuff that you'd see that maybe makes you envious. But, 
But there's lots of reasons in this life or lots of things pulling at us, advertisements or lots of promises of if you had this, if you could do this, if you could obtain that, if you could look a certain way, then you'll feel good. Then you'll feel satisfied. Then you'll feel content. And yet those things can come in pieces, but they're never going to truly satisfy. Only Jesus can do that, right? Lamentations 3 is a great one. I'd love I wish we had time to actually go through all of these here, but we don't. Uh, but if you would read Lamentations 3, 1 right through 30, right? So those 30 verses, it's a great passage on hope. But talks lots about this and where you find your contentment and satisfaction. But the first 18 verses are essentially, you know, describing all of the bad things he's experienced and the reasons why he has no hope, Right? And he actually said, he's praying to the Lord that he's, you know, he prays and the Lord doesn't answer him. And the, the Lord is like a, a bear or a lion in waiting or a bear that jumps out, right? He's besieged and enveloped and he's describing it in very good language. And then lastly, he says, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. And you see, he's suddenly finding hope. Why? Because his hope, when you point, when you put your hope back in Jesus and those promises, it actually gives you strength to endure. And you see that in that passage. So contentment and satisfaction. But the sixth one, I saved the best for last. This is probably the, the, the fruit that is the easiest to identify in someone's life of where they're putting their hope. Now, I'm not saying it's a law, but it is a good guiding principle. Prayerfulness. You show me someone who spends a lot of time in prayer and I'll show you someone who has their hope set in Christ. And you see it, it's evident. Why? Because they want to bring their needs. When, they're, when, they, when they sin, where are they going? They're going to the Lord to confess their sin. When, when they're grateful, what are they doing? They're bringing their praise back to God. When they need something, what are they doing? They're going to God and they're asking him to provide. When they need wisdom, they're seeking his advice, and they're seeking counsel, and they're searching scripture for his words and advice. Prayerfulness. And a lack of prayerfulness can show you the same thing, that possibly your hope is set in the wrong things. All right. So, I want to pray for you guys. We're going to pray this verse. I want to pray this verse over you guys and for myself. So if you're comfortable putting out your hands, I'm going to pray for you. Lord, this thing of hope, there's so many things going on in the world today and in these past two years that have, that have rocked us in many ways. And Lord, we already had our own personal struggles and issues and now we've had all the stuff that has gone on in the world around us and it feels like all of the, the sturdy ground we thought we had ended up being sand and nothing is secure and nothing is safe. And Lord, right now, today, we just, Lord, if there are any things in our lives, if there's anything other than you that we've been placing our trust in, we just bring that to you and lay it down at your feet. And today, Lord, we ask that the God of hope, that you would fill us, your people, your believers, with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we can abound in hope. Lord, would we be a people of hope for your name, that people could see that fruit in our lives of the hope we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I got 12 minutes left. I got a few more things to go through. <laughs> and then we do baptisms. All right, how do we put our hope in Christ? So we're going to talk briefly about that, and then I want to take what we're talking about and apply it to a current situation that we're all kind of going through right now. 
All right, so first thing is building our hope in Christ or putting our hope in Christ. The first thing that you can't escape is spending time in the Word. And I know we champion this all the time, but I, I will do it unashamedly again and just say this is one of the ways that we get hope. You spend time in the Word. It's living Word. So you spend time in here. And the thing is, like, what are the things we're hoping in? We're hoping in Jesus. He is the living Word. We're hoping in His promises. How are you going to know what those promises are that could carry you through a difficulty if you've never opened this up and, and read it for yourself? So you get in here and you spend time in here and he's going to grab you. He'll grab your heart. I talked about that last week with that verse. Remember I said with Peter, you are Peter and it grabbed my heart. Same thing. You get in here and he begins to grab you. A, a verse grabs you. You read Hebrews 13, 5 and it says, be content with what you have. For he has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And you're just like, oh, and it speaks to all that loneliness that you've been feeling. And you realize that this is God's promise to you that it's supposed to be enough that he is with you. But you got to spend time in his word, right? It's absolutely critical that we spend time in here. Uh, I'll share a verse that doesn't technically say hope, but, uh, but it applies, okay? So, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. This is now I'm sharing, I have a whole bunch of verses memorized, but um, this is one of the ones that I love. This has carried me lots the last two years. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction, right? If it hadn't been my delight, if my hope hadn't been in your word, I would have perished in, in my affliction, there's been lots to throw us off. But I have found, you know, the, the, the closer I draw to him, the more secure my feet feel. Even if the wind and the waves are blowing around and crashing around above, my feet are on something solid. And so I have hope. It's a wonderful thing. Read Psalm 119. If you want to read about hope and God's word and how they're connected, read the entire thing of Psalm 119. It's all about hope and God's word and its impact in our life. But from here, after you spend time in the Word, we begin to hold on to and trust in the promises of God. And that's a really important thing. And I'm going to go, go through just a, a short list. This is a short list. Like, literally, I didn't spend any time going through here. I just, off the top of my head, wrote down a few. So, off the top of my head, here are some promises. Because sometimes you get the idea that, you know, there's nothing good, in the, especially the last two years. You might feel like, oh, the only thing we have to hope for is the future promise of salvation. That's the first one there. Okay, that is a really good thing to hope for, and you should hope for that. That's going to carry you through lots of hardship. Lots of hardship. But there is lots of promises for today, too. Look at this. He's always with us. That's a promise. I just said that. Hebrews 13, 5. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. That's a promise. You can hold on to that. That's real. It's tangible. It's a guaranteed outcome. How about this one? Filling of the Holy Spirit when we ask. You sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father give the, heaven, or the Holy Spirit to those who ask? That's a promise. Good plans for our future, Jeremiah 29, 11. Sure, good plans for our future, right? He knows the plans he has for us. I know he's speaking to, to a different nation there, but that's a theme throughout Scripture, right? He'll work all things for good for those who are called according to his purposes. Doesn't mean things will be easy, Right? But it means he has a plan for your life and a purpose, and he's going to orchestrate those things as you follow him and trust him, and it's going to move you in a direction. How about preparing a place for us? John 14. Right? After he's resurrected, like he's saying, if I go away and come again, right, you can be sure that if I go away, that once he rises back to, to, from the dead, this is before, John 14 is before he died and rose again, but he's talking about his death and resurrection. And he was talking about the surety they can have. If he rises again and leaves, then he is going to prepare a place for them and they can be certain that he would come back and, and take them to himself. Yeah, that's a promise. Forgive us every time we confess, 1 John 1, 9. 
That's an incredible promise. Amen? Like, if you, right? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. Faithful all the time. Even if we are faithless, he's faithful. That's Timothy. Right? But he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amazing promise. Answers us when we pray. There is scads of scripture in this. But again, go through John 14, 15, and 16. You'll see probably half a dozen times, and I don't know the references off the top of my head. Turn all things for good as we follow him. I already kind of, rec- I already kind of referenced that with the number four. So those are just some of the promises. Now, when you can put your hope in Christ and learn that you can, you can bring these promises to the bank, these are promises and words that can actually carry you through great difficulty. They can. They can carry you. They can give you strength especially when you have his spirit dwelling inside of you. And then lastly, pray. Pray. And if you don't have the desire to pray, you start by asking for the desire to pray. And then you ask for, Lord, I don't know how to take my hope. Oh, I, Lord, I'm totally, I'm so anxious about my future. And I'm just, to me, I just need more stability. And if I have more stability, then I'll have peace. And I don't know how to switch that from my future or the government or whatever's going on to how to switch it on to you. You don't have to know how to figure it all out. That's nowhere in here. It can start with something as simple as, Lord, I don't even know how to put my hope in you, but I want to put my hope all in you. Would you help me? It can start there. And then you just begin to bring your needs to him, your desires, your hearts, your failures, your life. One thing at a time. You just keep bringing them to him in prayer, and he'll begin growing you in hope. So, now we'll switch. We've got a few more minutes left. We've got six to eight minutes. All right, great. Uh, how do we apply this to something current, right? Why don't we apply this to something current that we're all going through and where we put our hope and how it matters and why that's going to make a difference on how we move forward. Let's talk about the last two years and the current state that we're in with our country right now. So we have COVID, then we have restrictions, now we have Freedom Convoy. So how, do, how does this line up with a message on hope? All right. So, a couple of things. I got I to put some caveats out here before we even talk about what's going to be the, why it's so important that our hope is in Christ as it relates to what we're currently going through. First caveat, I'm not going to tell you what to think. I'm not going to tell you what to stand for. Right now, we're going to talk about how we stand. We're not going to talk about what we stand for. We're going to talk about how we stand for things, regardless of the side that you're on. Okay, so that's a really important piece. Um, I've talked to lots of good people on both sides of the debate, and it's amazing how everyone is very convinced of, of their own position and the righteousness of their own position. And so it's, it's important for us to kind of remember, oh, okay, we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't always feel that our position is the only position. We should be willing to listen. But the, I'm getting ahead of myself here. A couple more caveats, okay? So when we're picking a side, I want us to be really careful because how we stand is the most important thing. Don't, don't forget me saying that. Not what we stand for, how we stand. You know what it says in Luke? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? You know there's worse things to lose than freedom? And by the way, I want freedom. <laughs> I do. I, I, oh, I'm looking forward to no mandates and things going back to like what they were two years ago. Oh my goodness, it's going to be great. But there are worse things to lose than freedom. That's what scripture says. Right? What does, it get, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? How we do things matters, not just what the outcome is. Okay? So that's very important. Joshua 5, 13 to 14. Look at this. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. Scary. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Good question. Whose side are you on? 
Isn't that the hot button topic question right now when you go on social media or when you get into a conversation? Which side are you on? What are you standing for? Not a new thing, right? This is nothing new under the sun. Joshua was asking the same thing. And it's the angel of the Lord. I won't have the whole story here. I'll just give you a piece. But he says, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come, and Joshua fell on his face on the earth and worshipped him, saying, what does my Lord say to his servant? Joshua suddenly realized. So he's saying to the angel, are you on this side or are you on this side? Whose side are you on? And the, and the angel reveals himself to Joshua, and it ends up being the Christ before he's manifested in the flesh. It's the angel of the Lord. That's why he falls down and worships. The angel says, I'm on my side. <laughs> I'm on my side, not on a side. Caring less about the victory on either side, caring more about the why, the how, the faith that he's finding on the earth. Now, more caveats, because we love caveats, right? We're Canadians, we want to be caveats because we don't want to offend anyone. Am I saying then that we should just sit idly by and only be on the side of Jesus and that means just let what happens in the world play out? Absolutely not. Not even close am I implying that. I'm not talking about what we stand for. As Christians, we should stand for things. People shouldn't just know what we're against, they should know what we're for. We should be for justice. We should be for the widow and the orphan and the poor and the downtrodden. We should be for what's right. We can even be for freedom, freedom of speech. You know that freedom of speech allows me also the freedom to share the gospel with whoever I choose, even if they don't want to hear it. <laughs> we should be careful, gentleness and respect, but it gives me that freedom. I like freedom. I want to stand for freedom. When I'm voting and making decisions, I'm, I'm gearing towards freedom. I, I, that's important to me. I'm not saying we shouldn't stand. I'm just saying when we're picking a side, we should remember whose side we're on first. Are we Canadians first? I'm a Dirksen. Am I a Dirksen first? Am I a husband first? A father first? Or am I a Christian first? See, where I put my hope matters. I made a commitment that I'd be a Christian first. All of those other things are very, very important. The commitments I have to my kids, to my spouse to the country, to you guys, they're all very important, but my commitment to him is most important. So it's not just what I do, what I do matters. Amen, yes, absolutely. But how I do it is critical. Because what would it profit me to gain the whole world but forfeit my soul? How would that honor the Lord who died for me? I'd far rather honor him than get some material blessing here in this world. All right, now you can do both too at the same time, so I'm not saying you can't. Remember, I'm not saying we sit idly by, I'm saying how we stand is important. We're all hearing that? And I'm not telling you what to stand for either. <laughs> you see how I'm just trying to stay on that middle line? It's like a tightrope. Yeah, I know. Anyways, so ne next uh, caveat. One of the questions I've received, because we've talked lots Romans 13 in the last two years and about our choice to kind of stay in the middle. We haven't added to restrictions, we haven't also cut corners. We've stayed right in the middle, and we've stuck to the public health order, uh, and we've, sti we've stood by that, okay? Now, I've had people ask me already, well, what about these convoys, or what about the protests? Isn't that breaking Romans 13, and how can Christians be a part of that? Okay, just very quickly, we talked about this a little over a year ago, but we talked about uh, in the message on faith, COVID, and restrictions, uh, and then we talked about the, the ways that we, we can uh, have our voice be heard in a democratic society. So one of them was voting, then we had emails, petitions, and the right to peaceful protest. That is one of them. 
So you can peacefully, it is actually a charter protected right. People are allowed to do that. It's not breaking the law to go and protest. You can stand for what you believe in. It's a protected right. And whether you're for or against it, we should be for the right to do that because that's all part of a free society, right? So even if someone's protesting things you don't like, we should be for the protest, not maybe their cause. If that makes sense, you're kind of working it out. There's a fifth one too. You can also run for for office, right? You can run for a position in the government. That's another way you can have your voice be heard. So those are all parts of that. I won't spend any more time on that. Now, obviously you might say, yeah, but what if bad things happen at a, pro at a protest? Then what do we do? Well, you know, that's a tricky thing, isn't it? And that's why, again, Christians, remember what you are first. Human nature is going to have you do one thing. We judge others by their actions and ourselves by our intentions. Isn't that the way it goes? Right? And we're all about picking sides. Once I have a side, I'm righteous and you're not. End of story. Scripture has lots to talk about that. But that is human nature to feel that way. It is totally human of us. But we're not just humans of the flesh of this world. We are first citizens of another world. We're foreigners. We are the foreigners here. We're citizens of heaven first. So that's really, 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 really important how we actually approach this because we have to be careful on how we side with anything. It's not that we can't side for things. No, we can, but we have to be careful that we're not siding with things that are wrong. Right? We don't, and how, again, how we present. You can have a case. I can have a side. I'm going to stand for this, but I'm not going to stand for it in a way that's dishonoring to Christ. As believers, we're told people will hate us. They will. But they'll hate us because of our allegiance to Jesus. They shouldn't hate us for sinful, unchristlike actions. If we lose our testimony for those things, then shame would be on us. All right. Um, 1 Corinthians 9, or 8, 9 to 13 here. Take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So, we have rights in a democratic society. Exercise them. Use them. Make your voice be heard. Absolutely. But remember, your allegiance first is to Jesus Christ. You're a Christian first. You're a Canadian second. You're or father, mother, whatever you all, all the other things come after Christian first. All right? So it's Christian first. That matters. And then let's stand in such a way that we don't become a stumbling block for others. Remember, I'm saying actions and fruit and character are separate from beliefs. Our beliefs will be offensive to people. It will. There's nothing we can do about that. The Bible is quite clear on that. But the fruit of our lives, the character, how I treat people, that I can have a lot of control over. All right? All right. Third, let me take a stand. What is your hope in? This is a question to ask yourself. As you take a stand in anything, what are you putting your hope in? I've heard things like, well, I mean, I'm doing this, and you can do it for lots of reasons. I'm doing it for my kids, I'm doing it for the next generation. Those are all good things, right? But I hope you don't mean by that that your hope for your kids, the only hope that they have is living in a Canada that was the same as it was 10 years ago. Lots of people don't have that kind of freedom. And yet they can still have hope. And lots of people have that kind of freedom and they don't know Jesus. There are worse things than not having freedom, not knowing Jesus being one of them. That's a lot worse, right? That is actually the, I mean, when I think about what I want for my kids, yeah, there's lots of things. I want them to be provided for. I want them to have, you know, good relationships. I pray for their education. We pray for lots of stuff in their life. Absolutely, yes. My biggest prayer is that they know Jesus. Like that's way bigger than any sin struggle they're going to have or, or place where they grow up. The Holy Spirit's bigger than all that stuff. 
He can guide them through anything. So I just want them to know him and to put their faith in him. So that's very, very important. Now, of course, we can still pursue these other things, but asking the question what my hope is being put in is very, very important. It is. Now, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, look at this. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, right? Things that are in this world, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We must set our hope on the right thing and not get derailed. Now, can we take a stand? Yes, of course we can. Luke 9, 25, though, for what does it profit a man if we gain the whole world and, and loses or forfeits his soul? So, how we take a stand is very, very important, right? So whatever side you're on, how you choose to pursue that stance is very, very important. So I'm going to give us a heart check here, and then we'll go into the baptisms. This is a heart checklist that I would encourage you to take personally, just to try to find out where are you at and where, you're, where is your own heart before we go and make large public stances, okay? First one would be, ensure your hope is in Christ. What are you hoping? Are you, is, is your hope placed in an outcome? Because if it is, you've given a lot of power to somebody else that's, that, that's bound to let you down at some point. They will. Examine your heart and repent from sin. That's another one. You're saying, what does that have to do with what stance I'm on? Everything. Don't worry about the speck in your brother's eye until you've dealt with the log in your own. It has everything to do with it. So we start, we get, we get humble, we get low in the river before God, we get down and we say, Lord, is there sin in my heart that I'm not dealing with? So you take care of that and it grows you in empathy and, and grace for others. Then you prayerfully consider your position. And it's more than prayer. You weigh the, you know, weigh the evidence and you listen to things and we, you know, you try to get information online, although that's kind of dodgy sometimes about the accuracy of everything we're seeing, but... You know, you try to weigh things. You talk to people and you listen to people. Absolutely. But you prayerfully consider your position before you take it. Right? We prayerfully consider it. We assume the best in others. You might say, I already do that. I assume the best in everyone who believes the way I believe. That's not what I mean. You know it, right? (laughs) We assume the best on people that disagree with us. They're not just like, they they just hate this, or they just don't understand this, or they just don't care, or they're... No, we assume the best. They probably have good reasons for that. So we seek to understand. We listen. We ask questions. We show love. That's what the Bible teaches. Number five, listen and give grace to people on all sides. Number six, pray for our leaders and countries. Now what about, okay, pray for our leaders and countries. What about disagreement? Are we allowed to disagree with them? Sure we are. Of course we are. I mean, you disagree with political leaders all the time. When we vote, what are we doing? I disagree with this guy for these reasons. And then I, I am all for this guy because of these reasons and we're listening to our reasons. You can do that. Of course we can. Christians, we can, we can judge actions. We can say that's not right. This is wrong. In fact, we should be a voice of truth and reason in the world. This isn't wrong or this, this is right. This is wrong. Absolutely. But we should be careful not to ever cross into the line of slander and gossip and hate. We're supposed to love. We're supposed to pray. We're supposed to bless even when we disagree. And then lastly, put the testimony of Jesus first and then stand for truth without sacrificing love. It's not one or the other. It's both, always. It's both, always. Truth in love. We do it all together. All right. You guys want to do the baptisms. Let's do it. Luke 23, 34. I just want one last verse here because Jesus modeled this. You'd say, well, what what if you're in a spot though? Like maybe now you're saying it's murky and we don't totally know, but what if you were in a spot where you knew your side was righteous and you knew the other side was in, in completely, like completely wrong? Then what? Jesus tells us in Matthew 23, 34, we look at the, the model of, our, of the founder of our faith, Jesus himself, 
And he's on the cross crying out what? Some of his last words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's what we want to emulate to those we disagree with. And of course, to those we agree with as well, but that's easier. Christians, let's, church, let's not lose our testimony over the things. Let's stand for what we believe we can follow our convictions, but let's not lose our testimony in the, in the process. Amen? Lord, we just come before you right now, and, and we just, we, Lord, we're, we've been through so much the last two years, and everything's new. It seems like history's always being made, precedent's always being set, and we honestly just don't have the wisdom to know how to move forward. And so, Lord, we're coming to you and recognizing humbly that we cannot do this without your spirit leading us and it seems like even when we get it right and we stand for the right thing then it's so hard to do it with the right heart without getting bitter or hurt or offended so lord today we ask that your spirit would go before us that you would give us wisdom on what to stand for how to stand but then your spirit that you would that you would bear your fruit in us as we put our hope in you so that we would do so in such a way that people would see you in us We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.